holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new, well, sort of brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Right now, I'm not actually here. Well, I am here, but I'm on holiday. So I'm not doing a podcast because it's the interlull. Like if I was at home, I would do a podcast because we could chat about stuff, but I'm not and I'm not going to do a podcast while I'm on holiday Apart from the podcast, I think I might have done, although I can't be sure I have, because that would mean I can look into the future. My plan at this moment in time while recording this bit is to do an Arscast Extra with James while I'm on holiday. But, you know, maybe it won't happen. Maybe the Internet won't work. Maybe we can't find a time to connect. Maybe there's something that stops us doing it. I can't say. So perhaps there has been a podcast. Perhaps there hasn't. But right now. There is. This is an actual podcast that you're listening to. It's one that was made available to Arsblog members on Patreon a good few weeks ago now. And we got to say thank you to all of our friends who support us on Patreon and help us to do everything that we do on the site um, when it comes to making podcasts, writing blogs, articles, coverage of the women's team, coverage of the youth team. Your support, if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, really helps us do all of that stuff and will help us to do more in the future. So, Thank you very, very much indeed. Again, we really do appreciate it. This interview is with uh, an Arsenal legend. And the word legend is bandied around, thrown out there willy-nilly these days. But this well and truly is an Arsenal legend. He came to the club from... Dublin, Ireland in the 1970s established himself as one of the club's best and greatest ever players. He went to Italy, he played for Juventus, he played for Inter Milan, Sampdoria amongst others. He did come back to England, played with West Ham for a while and then became the head of the Youth Academy at Arsenal. He's performed ambassadorial roles for the club but it's what he did on the pitch that makes him an Arsenal legend and of course I am talking about Liam Brady. He was my first Arsenal hero although I never got to see him play live in the flesh. I was uh, just a kid living up in Yorkshire at that stage and uh, London felt very, very far away. But, uh, you know, when you're Irish and you're living in England and Arsenal have all these Irish players, it's uh, it's easy to make a connection. And I've been wanting to uh, to chat with Liam for, for ages and he has promised to do it with me and we actually got around to doing it. Uh, this summer. So it did take place, I think, in, I think, the end of June, perhaps, sometime around there. Anyway, I think the World Cup was on and Arsenal were still in the midst of their summer. So you have to listen to the conversation in that context because we talk a bit about the the hopes for the new season under the new manager and, and all that kind of stuff. But it is, as well, a career retrospective from Dublin to London to Italy, back to London and everything else in between. Uh, I do hope you enjoy it. I know some of you have heard it before, but maybe it's just worth listening to again. This is me and Liam Brady. 
Okay, it's my great pleasure now to introduce a, a real Arsenal legend to the podcast. Something we've been threatening to do for a little while, but finally we got around to doing it. Liam Brady, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. So, I think we might do a little bit of a career retrospective if we like, because I, uh, you know, we've got lots of uh, lots of fans who will have seen you play and who grew up with you at Arsenal, but we've got lots of new fans who who know of you as as an Arsenal legend and somebody who was a great player for the club. So uh, I'm interested in in how it happened for you as a, a young lad from Dublin uh, joining Arsenal. You were, what, just 15 when you I went was 15, up? but I, I first went when I was 13 right. uh, on trial. So And uh, that would have been, what, 1969. And at that time in Dublin, uh, all the best young players uh, usually found themselves going to Manchester United. Yeah. But um, uh, it's a bit of a story, but it's a story worth telling that there's a guy in Dublin called Bill Darby, uh, who is the Arsenal scout, has been the Arsenal scout for many, many years. But in that, 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 that time, he decided to write to Gordon Clark, who was the uh, chief scout at Arsenal, and say, look, you've got nobody in Dublin and Manchester United are taking all the best young players. Why yeah. don't you appoint me? <laughs> And uh, I'll steer them in your direction. So I think Gordon was impressed by the letter and sent one of his uh, one of his um, safer scouts, let's say, one of his good scouts right. from North Wales over to Dublin. Uh, so the guy came from Hollyhead on the boat, came over, and uh, his name was Malwin Roberts. And Malwin told me the story that he said to Bill Darby, like, take me to the best match where the best players are playing at under 13 level or something like right. that. Right. So who, who were you playing for? I played for St. Kevin's in Whitehall. Right. Ellenfield Park we were yeah. playing. And uh, th that's how it came to happen. But Bill took him to the match and Malwin said, oh, I like the little inside forward, uh, you know, where does he live? Went around my house. Uh, said to my mother, you know, who introduced himself and said, you know, we'd like to ask your son to come over on trial. And, uh, well, that's that's how it started. And uh, I jumped at the chance. I was waiting for this for, you know, dreaming of it for... I didn't think it might be Arsenal necessarily, yeah. but uh, it, uh, I, I was hoping it was going to happen, that I could... Because my brothers had gone to England. Like, I had... Brothers, nineteen, twenty years older than me. I was a bit of a mistake coming along <laughs> at the very, the very tail end of a, of a family of seven. Right, and uh, um, so they had been in. Uh, they had played in England and were still playing in England at some level in those days. And um, um, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to get the chance to go. And then Arsenal came. I went over. Uh, that summer of '69, in uh, in in, I think it was August '69. They used to have their trials, and I did did well. And they asked me to come back, and then they asked me to sign. And I, when I left school at 15, um, I went to London to live and to for good. Right. Well, we, we say for good, but I had an apprentice contract, which yeah. could last two or three years, uh, and I had to prove myself in that time. Did you? Yeah, I mean, did you have any reservations about leaving home or leaving Dublin or no, going to live somewhere no. else? Or was it like, okay, my brothers have done this, you can see the well, path? Well, my brothers went went as older people, as adults, you know. They went when they were 19 and 20. Yeah. Um, 
whereas going to tour uh, 15 was well, well it was a bit daunting but no and I had no hesitation in going but when I got there you know there were times that were hard and you know particularly around Christmas and things like that you mm. come home for Christmas they give you a week or so off but you have to go back and it's kind of it was it was tough but uh, uh, I got through it and you know began to make progress in the second and third year uh, of, of my apprenticeship well uh, they they signed me after two years yeah. at, at 17 they signed me a uh, professional it was a smaller club back then so I, I, I take it it was easier to get to know what Arsenal was about was that something that you were that was part of the apprenticeship in a like it w was to understand the, the club and what it meant and who you were playing against the rivalries uh, you know the North London thing was that something that was part of it or did you just oh, naturally no, that pick was, that up no that was very part of it you know that was <laughs> indoctrinated in you you know that uh you had to beat Spurs at every possible chance and uh, you know w w when I joined we just won the double mm. in 71 uh, and we had you know uh, st stars like Charlie George and Frank McClintock and John Radford and Ray Kennedy they were you know big players in the English game at the time uh, so I was joining a club right at the very top just won the double the double had only been won 10 years prior to that by Spurs yeah uh, and hardly ever, you know. There's been a good few doubles since then, and thankfully we've we've done them. But uh, now then, it was a, a special thing to do, and it was a special club. Uh, so um, we knew what the standards were. The standards were very high. You mm. have to be, uh, you have you would have to be a good player to break into the Arsenal first team then. Yeah, and but I mean, having done the double in '71, it was another eight years before Arsenal won a trophy it took you know there wasn't exactly a, a case where uh, they built on that success in 71 so did that make it easier for you to get into the team in a way oh yes yeah without any doubt it it it, it, it that team broke up in my opinion far too quickly um, uh, they lost Don Howe after the Dublin 71 and I think I think that was um, a, a defining moment for that team. Yeah. Uh, I think you know Bertie Me was obviously a very good manager, a very good organizer, very strict, and um, had standards and re had raised the standards at the club. Um, but Don Howe was the brain behind the the, the 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 way the team played and the tax tactics that were used, and um, you know he 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 was probably advising Bertie May on all, all all football matters yeah uh, and he left so I think that was a big blow for the for the squad of players that were there at the time yeah and over the course of two years uh, it just kind of fell away and we we, we went from being um, you know double winners to probably non non competitors and by the time we get to nineteen seventy four, you know, yeah. I think we I think it was uh, we got to the semi final of the cup in seventy three and the, and the, that was a big thing then. I think we lost to Sunderland away at Hillsborough and uh, I was at that match and uh, after that the team really broke up and right. then all the kids began to get a chance. Bertie May in the following year I think decided to give the kids a chance and uh, I got my uh, I got my debut and started to play from there then Bertie got sacked and Terry Neal came in yeah. 
and uh, he we did okay in the first year but it wasn't it wasn't a happy camp and uh it was only when why not yeah well i mean the, you know the the level of of of, of coaching and and uh, uh ambition uh mm. for 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 the club uh was wasn't great and uh it was only when he brought Don Howe back in. Right. Don was up at Leeds as as uh, number two to Jimmy Armfield. Um, but he brought Don back in and things changed very quickly and we began to become a team again. Is, is he an underappreciated figure at Arsenal, Don Howe, in terms of what he did and, and the impact he had on... Yeah, well, looking back at Don's career, you know, he was a brilliant number two yeah. and not a great number one. And I think you know, football uh, does have people like that, uh, where they're better off working in the background and not in the in the headlights. Brian Kidd, uh, yeah, he could be described as, as 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 a good number two. Yeah, uh, so um, you know, this guy that's working with Southgate now, uh, yeah, is. Uh, is is doing a very very good job but behind the scenes and quietly uh while England go about their business of trying to get to the World Cup final um and i think don really um gave us targets gave us aims to not only as a team but also as individuals to mm. improve our game and everybody to a man bought into it and then Terry uh, Terry Neal bought some good players. You know, we bought Pat Jennings, which was very important. He, you know, a great goalkeeper, uh, who Spurs thought were probably coming to the end. Yeah. Um, and Willie Young was a good partner for David O'Leary at the centre of the defence. Then a year later, we bought Brian Tolbert. A couple of years later, we bought Brian Tolbert, who was uh, a really tremendous midfield player at the time. Yeah. You know? So Alan Sunderland was also a good buy from Wolverhampton. Yeah. And then so you had all those new players. Uh, Terry, prior to Don coming, had bought Malcolm McDonald, you know. Mm. Uh, and Malcolm was the star, but he wasn't really a team player. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, Malcolm... Uh, had had problems with his knee after a year or so, and he kind of fell away. and And Stapledon and uh, Sunderland became the the two lads up front, who yeah. were, you know, very very good playing together. There was a a great Irish contingent at Arsenal at that time because uh, I I grew up in England, and I think people ask me why are you an Arsenal fan, and the the only reason I can think of is because I was living in England with Irish parents, really interested in football. But when you looked across the the Arsenal team, there was Liam Brady, there was David O'Leary, Frank Stapleton, John Devine, there was the guys from Northern Ireland, Pat Jennings, Sammy Nelson, Pat Rice. You know, at that point in my life, I had no conception of of the difference really between Northern Ireland and and the Republic of Ireland. It was just Ireland. You know, these were Irish guys. Did that did that make it easier for you in any way, or was it a do you look back on that as something that was special? Because I think there no, is a I generation think, of think, Arsenal fans of of my age yeah. who who probably have that connection with the club yeah. because of you guys. Yeah, well, no, I think I was I was a bit of the trailblazer, you know, coming in uh, from Dublin because of this letter that went to Gordon Clark, the yeah. chief scout. Uh, like that was probably at the time, uh, you know, 
one of the things that that helped Arsenal in the late 70s, that letter, because mm. we got Stapleton O'Leary, who turned out to be really top-class players tonight. And David's probably one of the best players that's ever played for Arsenal. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think he's got the record number of games for Arsenal, which is quite yeah. incredible. But he he came on the back of that letter. And then, yeah. you know, he, Bill Darby then became the Arsenal scout. And that's why all these young players from Dublin uh, started playing for Arsenal and um, Pat uh, uh, Pat Rice was always there Pat grew up around the corner from, from Arsenal he was Irish but from his parents I think yeah. he was born in Belfast and then they came to uh, they came to London when Pat was at a very early age Sammy on the other hand had been scouted by uh, by uh, our representative in, in Belfast and brought so Pat and Sammy were there, and then of course Terry went and bought Pat Jennings, which was the best signing he ever made, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was. Who would you put in front of him? You're a bit young to, a bit yeah, young to remember young. that, Andrew. But I don't think Pat, uh, uh, Terry made a better signing than Pat Jennings. Yeah, he was amazing. I, rem- I remember him uh, particularly in, in the World Cup in 1982, making some amazing saves in that game against Brazil. But, yeah, yeah, and he went on for so long. Like, when do you think he came to Arsenal? About 77, 70, 77, I think it was. And Spurs thought he'd seen his what best What was that days. like? What was that and he like? he had another 10. He got a testimonial out of Arsenal. <laughs> what was it like, though, when he, came from, when he came from Tottenham, given the rivalry and given, you know, what you, you said about it being indoctrinated into you? Was there any... Uh, he must have felt he never said it Pat's a very quiet unassuming guy yeah. very he's a lovely lovely man and he never said anything but he must have felt uncomfortable at the outset <laughs> he must have done uh, but uh, I think he he was upset at the way he had been mm. treated by Spurs so there was also a determination there I'll show them right know? and uh, I think when we beat them 5-0 over at White Hart Lane uh, um, Pat was in our goal and wasn't in the other goal. He, yeah. was, he was a happy man that day uh, in sure. a strange kind of way. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah. Still, he's still very much one and a half feet in the Spurs camp and the other half comes over to us now and again. You yeah. know? <laughs> and that 5-0 was when you scored that goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Alan Sunderland scored three. Yeah. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was... But it was a lucky game for all of us because it was on match of the day. And what you have to understand, Andrew, and what your younger listeners will not understand is those games were not always on the television. Yeah, no, I you, know, you were lucky if you were on the television. Yeah. As a player, you'd probably, uh, if you were on match of the day on a Saturday night, might make you go home early <laughs> and watch it. Whereas uh, if you weren't on match of the day you'd probably stay out you yeah, know, yeah, and have yeah. a few drinks with the lads video recorders weren't <laughs> even really a thing no they either, were just so. they were just coming along yeah <laughs> so no no on demand no watching back you had to be there sitting in front of your TV yeah that's it yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, is, is that your favourite goal uh, oh I'd have to say it is yeah, I scored a good few good goals mm. for uh, for Arsenal uh, uh, but I'd have to say that that is my favourite one yeah uh, we uh, we played Leeds one night and uh, we beat them 7-0 in the League Cup and I, I scored two goals but two penalties but the football we played that night yeah. was absolutely outstanding you know and that's a game that's and lost it, to time yeah and, yeah and the other thing is you know people say to me what what do you 
you know what would you what would you want from the modern game today mm. it's it's the pitches they play on you know they play yeah, on yeah, yeah. pristine pitches all all year, all season long yeah uh, but that night we played Leeds. It was just the start of the season. It was the first game of the of the League Cup. It was probably about September time, and Highbury was immaculate, and we just moved the ball about so much. We were so confident that we beat Leeds seven nil against the Leeds, you know, good mm. Leeds side. They were first division side then. So uh, no, the, 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 the my career then in the seventies and with all the Irish lads in the team and the signings that Terry made, we became a very very strong team in the cups, yeah. But we didn't have a lot of depth to the squad, um, and we could beat anyone on a day. But unfortunately, um, we never really challenged for the league, and um, I began that began to annoy me because we we had the, the we had the nucleus of a really good team, mm. but the club on Terry didn't have the ambition to go and sure. You know, get 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 the players that were out there to make us a much stronger outfit when it came to challenging for the league for the title. Yeah, I mean the '79 FA Cup. Uh, people who listen to the podcast regularly will hear me uh, tell the story. It's the first game I I remember, first Arsenal game I properly remember. First game I remember is the '78 uh, World Cup final, being absolutely gutted that uh, that Holland lost. But uh, the '79 FA Cup final, I I, I believe deep down that it taught me a lot about football because it was so enjoyable we were 2-0 up there was only a couple of minutes left it looked like we were going to win and then all of a sudden they score two goals and you're thinking what the fuck is going on here this this is not the way it's supposed to be and then all of a sudden you know you take the ball you give it to Graham Ricks Graham Ricks crosses it Alan Sunderland scores and you're immediately happy again I think there's a there are important lessons in that in the sense that okay you, you think it's going one way all of a sudden it's going a different way and then just when you think it's going to go the wrong way it can go the right way again yeah. you know there's yeah, a well, there's a learning experience for that that in 1980 FA Cup final was another learning experience well I you think. know we're speaking now during the World Cup yeah. uh, and we've seen from this year's World Cup <laughs> those things that can happen look at Japan against Belgium yeah. you know yeah. they're winning two nil with what, five ten minutes to go and all of a sudden the game changes and mm. then it goes into the last minute and they get a corner kick instead of boxing clever and keeping the ball and going into another half an hour yeah 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 they you know they get caught on a breakaway like how uh, you know how heartbreaking was that and yeah. that is football you know you, you mustn't count your chickens ever no no but was 79 uh, obviously a great experience yes it was because then the FA Cup was huge yeah. you know the FA Cup then and people probably will find it hard younger again younger listeners will find it hard it was every bit as important as the league you know uh, okay the league proved to you that that uh, who, who was the best best team over 42 league games but the cup was where all the glamour was and mm. all the you know the razzmatazz was the Saturday of the cup final yeah, it was like and if you were a manager won the cup you, you were your job was safer you know you would go down in in the history of the club <laughs> you know in those times now it's you know what we've seen how many cups we've won it's not really mattered you know we're going on to the modern day now and yeah. 
Arsene Wenger has won I don't know how many cups he's Seven. won but yeah but he's the the, the the guy has won the most FA Cups mm. and uh, you know in the end winning the cup didn't really matter you know, didn't really didn't, yeah, didn't really it figure it, it, it wasn't enough you know yeah. so I mean 1980 was a disappointing year in terms of what the club might have achieved and what you might have achieved as a player with two finals the, the FA Cup final and the, the Cup Winners Cup final against Valencia. yeah that, that was that was uh, yeah we were we were a really good team and you know to get to another two finals again yeah. uh, after 79 I think demonstrated that this would be our third FA Cup final on the trot and not only that was we got into a European final mm. into the Cup Winners Cup final and we had to beat Juventus in the semi-final so it showed you know what a good team we were on yeah. our day but uh, again I'll go back we, we didn't really add to the squad and, and you know my contract was coming to the end in 1980 and because we hadn't shown the ambition that I thought we should have shown and uh, got, uh, got better players in to challenge the likes of Liverpool for the league uh, I'd kind of made up my mind and I, I wanted to move on um, uh, and Arsenal supporters will say well that's wrong some Arsenal supporters would say well, that's wrong but if you stand, stand in my shoes at the time you know uh, Kevin Keegan had gone to to Germany and done really well yeah. uh, Tony Woodcock had gone to Germany done really well uh, there was a whole kind of new way of football opening up to to players and uh, I started to think well you know I might be better off going abroad and that's what I decided to do well, was it always abroad that was uh, that was in your mind I mean look yeah, nowadays look, I spoke I spoke to Manchester United I spoke to Liverpool at the time you know yeah. and uh, I didn't want to go anywhere but abroad you right. know how does that how does that work back then? Because I think if we think about transfers now, we know that players have agents and managers and advisors, and there are these structures in place. Whereas players moving from Division One or from England to clubs abroad was very rare back then. Well, it started, as I say, it yeah. started, and and agents, you know, began to appear on the scene, uh, and Dennis Roach was. One of the one of the trailblazers in the agency game at that time, and um, he was my agent. He was Glenn Hoddle's agent. I think he was Tony Woodcock's agent. Um, and um, you know, he 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 wanted to know what I wanted to do, and I told him I would love to go abroad. I would love to go play football in Germany. You know, mm. uh, and Bayern Munich. I met Uli Harness. I've since met Uli. Uh, a few times when I was working as uh, as an ambassador for Arsenal when we played Bayern Munich yeah. and, and uh, myself and Uli met on the quiet in London uh, <laughs> many many years ago before my contract came to an end and yeah. uh, they I thought I was maybe and, and Den Dennis Roach I thought maybe I was going to go to Bayern Munich right uh, but uh, when did the Juventus interest well, uh, come? In and around, in and around the the turn of the year seventy nine eighty, the, the, the Italians opened up their borders to foreign players again. Yeah. They, they'd stopped it because there was an opinion uh, by the by the hierarchy in Italian football that the foreigners were were stopping Italy having a you know a good team, a bit like there's an argument 
uh, has been an argument in England that the foreign players haven't helped mm. the, the development of English players because they're not playing often enough. So there was that, that debate was going on in Italy and they stopped foreign players from coming in for oh, over 10 years and then they opened it up again. Mm. And uh, I think I, when I played against Juventus, I was on their radar and then it eventually led to me signing for them. Yeah, I mean, that's a very difficult club to turn down, isn't it? Because of the reputation, because of the the quality of them as well. And uh, Yeah, and it was, it was you know, if I, want, if I was going to leave Arsenal, I wanted to go to a really top club. You yeah. know, uh, I, as I say, I met Martin Edwards at Manchester United. I met uh, Brian Clough rang me up uh, <laughs> uh, said uh, you know what was that conversation come, like? come, that was funny that was yeah you know uh, do you know who this is young man I said I think it is uh, Mr Clough isn't it and he said yes you're right young man and uh, he told me if you come to Nottingham Forest I'll pay you a fortune or something like that right 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 and uh, <laughs> I said no I, I, I really want to uh, have a go at going abroad you know mm. Fair enough. Did you did you go to Italy with the <clears throat> desire to experience not just football but but life in Italy uh, as fully as you can? Because sometimes players can get or they can live inside of a of a bubble in a way uh, at a foreign club, whereas there's a whole big world out there culturally and everything else. Yeah, well, I had enough. You know that that. Uh, kind of attitude yeah. uh, I wanted to go abroad in the first place so mm. uh, in fact uh, you know that was the last few months at Arsenal uh, I thought it might be Germany and I was I was learning German you know <laughs> I began to uh, try and learn uh, some of the language and then you know when I went to Italy I had the attitude was uh, look you know you enjoy this you'll enjoy it if you can learn the language and I got stuck into the language I got myself a teacher and and uh, and, and went on from there uh, yeah uh, it was a big move for me but I'd already moved from Dublin to London yeah. as a kid and you know I had that experience under my belt so going to Italy although it was a bit it wasn't scary it was exciting rather than yeah. scary you know so um, and sometimes you're going going into the unknown is better than going into what you know. You know, if I hadn't known what Italy was like and how critical they could be, and how <laughs> uh, football is life and death. You know, sure, I, I might have had second thoughts, but <laughs> I didn't really know that at the time. So, yeah. uh, how was, quickly uh, did you come to terms with that, or how quickly did it become apparent to you that that was uh, a big difference? Uh, between the way football operates in it Italy and England uh, probably after after a couple of months you know um, I remember playing they don't play the league immediately over in Italy or at least they didn't then the first competitive games of the season are in the cup and, right. they, and, they, and they put like a group of four teams or maybe three teams in the cup and uh the best team, the best club is seeded. Like you, right. you, you, you'll play, maybe second division clubs or something like that. It's an it's an easy start into sure. the season, and the smaller clubs get a big gate by getting by getting one of the top clubs coming okay, play yeah, at yeah, their yeah. ground. So yeah. it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a good way to start the season. So yeah. started I started fine and uh, 
you know, things were going well. And then the league kicked off, you know. Yeah. And um, we were playing at Cagliari in Sardinia in September, and it was absolutely boiling. And, you know, I don't do heat. Being Irish, white skin, <laughs> I don't do the heat very well. Uh, and I had a very quiet game. And uh, I got on the bus. I wasn't happy. We drew 1-1. We got on the bus. I wasn't happy. I, sat, I was sitting there. I was saying, like, you know, so I was quite tough on myself if I didn't play if I didn't think I played well enough sure. and uh, I heard one of our directors say how did Inter get on today you know I began by then I'm there three months so I, I, I'm beginning to understand what they're saying you know yeah. and and he said uh, uh, oh someone said to him they won 4-1 because Inter were the champions you know that's the team we had to we had to you know finish above of right and um, he said uh uh, did how did Prohaska did Prohaska uh, who was their foreigner I was at Juventus's foreigner Prohaska was an Austrian midfield player and the guy said yeah he scored a 1-4-1 he scored and the uh, Juventus director said oh we we bought the wrong foreigner <laughs> and I was sitting on the bus and I went mm -hmm. a bit early for that isn't it wow yeah, that's yeah. from one of your own directors yeah yeah wow yeah, yeah. What what what's your reaction when you hear that? Is it a case of well, I'm going to have to double down and prove you wrong, or is it? Yeah, it could be I never forgot it. I never forgot yeah. it. When he was coming to kiss me at the end of the season after we won the league, I think I gave him the cold shoulder. <laughs> Stay away from me. <laughs> and the, I mean, obviously, you you enjoyed the experience in in Italy. Uh, you were there seven years. I mean, even leaving Juventus, it was a, uh, after two seasons. People talk, still talk about that penalty. You knew Platini, Michel Platini, was coming to replace you as the foreigner. Uh, maybe you could have two foreigners at that point. I, I can't quite yeah, remember. Yeah, but they, yeah, they opened. The, they, they, it was one foreigner for my first two years, yeah. and then it became two foreigners. And, and they signed Boniek from Poland. And I think when they signed Boniek from Poland, you don't know what's going on in Italy, but Fiat were the Fiat were the owners of Italy, yeah. Gianni Agnelli and Fiat and things like. That. And I think Fiat did a deal with a Polish car company and Boniek <laughs> was part of the deal you know so Boniek came uh, I think Agnelli put a factory into Poland to get Boniek you know that type of thing you know you, <laughs> all these things were going on that, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. so um, anyway I thought it was going to be played with Boniek but uh, Agnelli took a shine to Michel Platini right. who uh, he'd seen on his travels and obviously Platini was up there but I had no idea we were we'd won the league and we were winning it again the following season so it was like I was dumbstruck you know when yeah. I was told that uh, you were on the way yeah yeah crazy stuff yeah, yeah and that's that's Italy you know that's Italy and England now has become a bit like that yeah you know? that's okay, football we don't, now, have, isn't it? we don't have restrictions on how many foreign players we we can have but not the, yet they, 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 they come and go sure. so quickly don't they you know yeah. players come and go so quickly you think you have a player forever like someone like Sanchez at Arsenal you think wow we want him you know what a yeah, player yeah, we yeah. don't want to ever lose him after three years he's gone yeah. you know I think that's, that's, that's what that's yeah. England's become a bit like uh, the Italy I played in. I remember. I mean, that was something that always struck me about Italy is the fact that the big players went between the big clubs far more than they ever did in England. So you could play for Juventus, you could play for Inter, you could play for Roma, and that was unthinkable really when it came to the top players in England. You didn't play for Liverpool, Manchester United, and Arsenal. Whereas uh, times have changed. Yeah, well, you know that's that's. And also the the uh, 
the stuff in the newspapers, how critical newspapers can be in England. That was never the case, yeah. you know. Now they attack players left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's become managers are sacked after a few games. That didn't happen in England, but yeah. it always happened in Italy, yeah. you know. So when, when your time in Italy was coming to a close, I think um, I can remember scanning the newspapers all the time to see, you know, if there was this remote possibility of Liam Brady coming back to Arsenal. Well, was that ever... A thing? Well, it was, it was foremost in my mind, but uh, no, I found out quite soon that when, when I was coming back, I had a... In those days, you, you had, there were agents about, but there were also journalists about, right. Andrew, so you, you would have a journalist who would have uh, a direct line to a manager. You yeah. know, he could pick up the phone, and I had a very good friend of mine who worked in the News of the World called Reg Drury, who was old school... He was a good pal of mine. Mm. You know, he gave me advice on on things. He, he knew a lot of people running football in England at the time. Right. Jo um, Reg had a, a direct line to George Graham. And okay. uh, so I said, Reg, find out, will you? <laughs> and George said, thanks, but no thanks. I think he, will, he didn't want to yeah. step backwards. Right. He didn't want to, you know overshadow what he was doing way, yeah. yeah and he did right you know he was building a team there with a lot of young players and he wanted to make his own signings and yeah and what he'd done at the club at the time is he got he got rid of a lot of the older players yeah uh you know uh i can't remember but charlie was there charlie nicholas was left graham ricks was there they all got they all gradually left uh kenny samson yeah and he replaced him with his own signings the likes of uh, Winterburn and and, and uh, these lads came in. And, yeah. Uh, so you know George was his own man and uh, he di he did right. But I ended up going back to London to West Ham. Yeah. Uh, I got speaking through Reg. I got contact with John Lyle and. Uh, it's amazing, isn't John, it? The, the deal back to uh, a first division club is not brokered by a journalist, but you know, in some ways, brought about. Oh, absolutely. That way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way it used to be. Yeah, it used to be. Uh, there was uh, a distaste for agents then, yeah. uh, by because they were new on the scene, and and clubs were saying we don't, we, you know, we don't have anything to do with these guys. But yeah. journalists were, you know, had their ear, and sure. you know, they, they they could find out things, and also give the club information about right. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different times, yeah, different absolutely. Times, different for sure. times. Yeah. What about your international career with Ireland? Um, I mean, you obviously, I can't remember how many caps you have. I had seventy-two caps. 72. Yeah. Uh, well, you didn't get to play at Euro. No, no, I came so close. You know, I came so close in eighty-eight. Uh, I played in all the eight uh, qualifying games, mm. uh, and um, we finished top of a group with Belgium. Uh, Scotland and Bulgaria you know mm. so uh, we did really really well it was Jack Charlton's yeah. first uh, competitive uh, uh, competition um, yeah. uh, the quali qualifiers for the Euro 88 uh, and what about uh, when he came I would have been 29 30 maybe you know right. getting on yeah but I was still playing uh I was still playing in Italy. Then I came back to West Ham, and uh, we played all these qualifiers. And uh, it ended up with uh, we played Bulgaria at Lansdowne Road 
in uh, in our last match, but Bulgaria had another game. Uh, if we beat Bulgaria, we'd go top of the group. But they had had a game against Scotland, and if they only drew that game, yeah, they would top the group. So when we played Bulgaria, we felt we had a little chance, but we we owed them for what went on in Sofia. Right, uh, it was a nasty match in Sofia, and right. uh, we felt we were robbed over there. Uh, so we gave it to them here at Lansdowne. We beat them two nil. Uh, but in the last five minutes, I got myself sent off uh, stupidly for retaliation. And um, when when uh, I come off the pitch, I thought, well, that's it now. You know, we're, mm. we're that's my international career over. I'm 31 now. It was 1987. I'm 31. Uh, it's it's over. Um, and went in the dressing room and you know we were all happy that we we were top of the group but nobody gave you know Scotland any chance of going going to Sofia and winning you know Uh, a month later or three weeks later that's exactly what happened and I I couldn't believe it now I waited I started in 74 now it's 88 now or 87 now so because uh, Ireland did come close, didn't they, under Owen Hand? Yeah, and uh, uh, a couple of times yeah. we, we got we got done once one goal difference with uh, with Belgium. France and Belgium yeah. in the group in eighty two, I think that was. Mm. Yeah, um, so uh, we'd we'd gone close a few times. We had a good team, really good team. You know, we had mm. Mark Lawrence from Liverpool, we had Ronnie Whelan from Liverpool. Uh, you know, we had Frank. Uh, Frank by then was at Manchester United with Aldridge up front. Yeah. Uh, Paul McGrath, you know, great players. We had a great... Ray Houghton had come yeah. in the team. A really strong team. Anyway, uh, Scotland go and beat Bulgaria, and I can't believe it. I've waited all this time, and now I'm not going to be able to play in it because I've got four-match ban. Four-match ban? Four-match ban. What did you do to get four matches? Well, I I struck a, I struck the guy in the face, ah. you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. you know, he he'd been at me all day, and I I, I just lost it in in the last few minutes. Very stupid. Um, I had a character a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So long story, but we go to we go to um, uh, UEFA disciplinary committee. Uh, to appeal it, mm. and uh, it, it was it was a funny day. Uh, you know, I had two guys from the FAI who were nervous, as, you know, and they didn't make a very good presentation, to be right. quite honest. And uh, I thought, no chance here. But I think they felt sorry for me, and they gave me a two-game less. Right. Um, so I got went from four to two, which meant I could still. I could still be part of the squad and maybe play a game or two if we went further in the competition. Sure. But then a week or so later, I did my crucial ligament playing for West Ham oh, at no. Derby County, and uh, that was the end of it. So right. I never. I did come back into the squads in nine, when we qualified for 1990, but by then I think Jack had kind of was was phasing me out, and yeah. people had come in, in in that midfield area like Andy Townsend and Ronnie Whelan and things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was looking for something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't get to go to 1990, uh, and that that was the end of my career. I retired at West Ham, and I retired uh, after uh, I didn't make the squad for 1990. Right. So you went into to management with, with, with Brighton and Celtic. Well, Celtic first. Celtic first. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had been the other way around. Right. To be quite honest, uh, you know, Celtic was 
was a very big job at the time and uh, it was a job that was uh, probably like, a bit like Steven Gerrard going into Rangers now mm. you know he's He's, he's up against a formidable force. When I went into Celtic, it was, it was the other way around. Rangers were the formidable force. Right. And they had it all going for them, the strength, the money, and so forth. Celtic were in a bit of disarray as regards shareholders and fans and all sure. sorts of things. So I wish I had gone with the experience of management under my belt. And uh, I went in at the deep end, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't succeed. So Did you, I mean... Did it have an impact on what you thought about what you were going to do with your future in terms of, did you enjoy management? I did, yeah. I did yeah. enjoy it, yeah. Uh, there's certain aspects of, you know, our pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Mm. But uh, I did enjoy it. Um, well, it didn't put me off. After after Celtic, I knew, well, I wasn't going to, uh, you know, get a, 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 big, a big position uh, unless I really prove myself mm. and I went down to Brighton and I think I did show at Brighton um, that I could manage and we uh, I took over a team that had no money and uh, nothing going for it and uh, we were in relegation situation and we got up the table and then I got some lone players in that I'd go out and watch we got Dick off down there it was an absolute sensation Paul Dickoff yeah, I plagued yeah. George Graham to to <laughs> let me have him, <laughs> and uh, it did Paul the world of good coming yeah. down there because he, you know he, I think he only played six games for us where he scored five goals, and you know it, we got Brighton going again, yeah. uh, and the crowds went from nothing to up to double figures, ten, eleven thousand people coming. Uh, but then the people running Brighton at the time were real messy people, and right. they were only in it to to sell the club and get money and things like that. Right. So, uh, after that finished, I thought, oh, uh, I'm done with I'm done with management. I want to I want to think about doing something else. Okay. So the something else was to become head of youth development at Arsenal, and that's a, a substantial job, particularly at a time when football was beginning to change as well, and the. The knowledge about young players. I mean, you you lived through a time where basically nobody knew who the reserves at any club were, to a point where everybody knows everything about the under sixteens onwards. You know, this is the this is the world we live in now when it comes to young players. So, was was it interesting to watch that kind of transition and the impact it might have had on young players? Did it have an impact on on players? Do you think they had this sort of measure of Fame in a way that that wasn't there in the past. Yeah, I don't think it's healthy. Uh, I don't think it's it's healthy for um, you know players to have fame on reputation only, or you know s some some guy on social media has seen them play and said he's the next best thing, and then all of a sudden the kids reading about it, you mm. know, that's going on. Uh, and I don't think it does the does the young players any favors. Is it uh, not just a, another challenge that they have to to overcome or to deal with? Because this is the way the world is now. I mean, I get, well, I get no, completely you're not what gonna, you're saying. you're not going to change it. It's yeah. there and it's here to stay. And it has to be dealt with, not only by the player, but by the club as well. Yeah. You know, the club have got to manage that situation and uh, and make sure that, the you know, the player is not carried away with it all. But then, you know, you have to give that player, if he's a real prospect, 
you have to give him a lot of money to sign a professional contract. Yeah. And he'll have an agent, and the agent will be saying, you know, I can get you, if Arsenal don't give you what you want, or if the club don't give you what you want, I can get you to go there, there, there. Yeah. And it's it's unhealthy. It's 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 not... Uh, it, it, it doesn't fit with a player working at his game to become better and to become as as good as he can be. So the emphasis is is maybe on how much you can earn as early as yeah, you can earn the it. trappings yeah. rather than, you know, the ambition that you should have. Do, yeah. do obviously agents and managers and parents and the people around players must have an impact on that as well that they can push a young kid in a direction that isn't necessarily the best for their football but it's best for their financial prospects in the short term perhaps yes absolutely uh, and that that is happening it doesn't only just happen at one club it happens yeah, that's all over across yeah. the board yeah. uh, and this is what uh, clubs and 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 uh, everybody in football the administrators have to deal with you know mm. um there's there's a situation in England now where um, they've created academies. Uh, mm. We're going back a few years now, but we they've created academies and and and, and different uh, standards of academies. You yeah. can have category one, category two, category three, and to be category one, you had to have uh, certain standards, uh, and you would be audited to see if you had those standards. Right. And if you got category one status, uh, that was supposed to be, you know, rubber stamped that you were, you know, excellent at, at development of young players. Uh, but what was happening then, one category one club would start poaching another category one <laughs> club. So it was, it was chaos out there, you yeah. know. And I think in the last couple of years, they've stopped uh, the clubs with who, who money's no problem mm. uh, poaching poaching players from uh, from from the clubs because it's unsettling for a kid what do you want to uh, have a kid and his parents for that matter is his feet on the ground the next two or three years of his of his uh, development planned and he knows what's coming yeah and he works at his game and he has no nothing outside uh, distracting him um but the world they live in now is not like that, you know. Yeah, it's not like that. They're getting a lot of money uh, early on, uh, so they'll stay at clubs. There's even the there's even the uh, the lure of going abroad before you've done anything. You know, there's been a lot of players, like one player's left Man City to go to Dortmund. Jaden Sanchez, uh, we've Chris had, Willock. Uh, Chris Willock go to Benfica. Yeah. Uh, Marcus McGuane go to Barcelona mm. uh, so all that's going on you know and I don't think it's right you you should have your 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 three or four years planned from 15 to 18 yeah. or 15 to 19 and you're going to work at your game you know where you're going to be and then at 19 if you're not you know 
pushing on to the first team squad, then yeah, make a decision then, but not you know not at sixteen. Is there not something to be said for that experience though, from a not just from a footballing point of view, but on a human level to go abroad to experience a new culture, a new type of football to well, see? I did it. I did. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I did it at twenty-four when I went to twenty-four. But you did it when you left Dublin to go to London in a way as well. You know, it gives you a different kind. It gives you a different perspective on the world, right? Yeah. Well, it, it. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that, but then you're going. Uh, then when I was coming from Dublin, I was coming from amateur football to professional football. Sure, yeah. yeah. These are leaving top clubs in England to go over there, and the only mm. reason they're going over there uh, is uh, money. You know, <laughs> well, what well, prospects as well, though. I mean, Jaden Sancho is is playing on a regular basis, which he probably wouldn't have done if he'd stayed with, with well, Manchester he, City. Well, he, he would have done. I think Manchester think? City would have loaned him somewhere, and uh, he, he would have been playing, yeah. Mm. But yeah. he's not doing his reputation or his career any harm, I don't think, you know, with that, with that kind of a move. No, I wouldn't argue with you there, Andrew. I yeah. wouldn't argue with you there. Um, uh, perhaps in his case, it, it, it's, it's a good plan, uh, um, but, but well, I mean, these are, we were talking about yeah. how to keep a kid's feet on the ground yeah. and how to keep his parents' feet on the ground and, sure. and, and guide them in the direction of, of, uh, of, of being a footballer, not only for the next two years, but being a footballer for the yeah. next 12 so years, that, for the next 14 years, is to have a career plan. Yeah. You know, and this is what's got to happen. And the, and the kids have got to buy into it. Like, uh, there's, there's no... I think if you look at the England team that are doing well at the World Cup now, uh, you've got lads who've had to come up the hard way. You've got lads who've, who've you know, Kane, for instance, yeah. had to go on loan to several clubs. He didn't really, he didn't really break into the Tottenham first team until he was twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. So he worked at his game to get where he is and the likes of Maguire is another one Stone started at Barnsley you, think, yeah. you know uh, I, I think that yeah. the trappings that are coming their way is actually not doing them any good at all so how do we then as Arsenal fans and Arsenal people how do we tally that and your concerns about that with players like Cesc Fabregas and Hector Bellerin who have been brought to Arsenal in much the same way that Marcus McGrain and Chris Willock have gone to Benfica and Barcelona respectively. So I mean there is there is something to be said for players who are willing to take a risk and do something a bit different. If you can spot the talent and you're willing to give them a chance. No, that's absolutely right. You're 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 you're, you're correct in, in but what I found with with uh the foreign players coming the other direction. Let's say we mm. were getting them from from Spain in the case of Fabregas and and uh, uh, and Bellerin and uh, the, the 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 foreign players coming to London. Seb Larsson when he came uh, to Arsenal. The foreign players coming to London or coming to England have a different mindset. Uh, they they it's a career move and uh, it's not like for a quick fix. Right, they're they're coming because the club has been sold to them. You can get into the first team earlier, Arsenal, which was the case. And to yeah. be fair to Wenger, um, he, he always gave young players a chance if he thought they were good enough. Yeah, and the kids knew that when they were coming, so they had that kind of mindset. I'm not too sure it's 
it's it's the other way. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you must have seen lots of young players come and go down the years, players who you felt had a really great chance of making it, but because of because of attitude, perhaps, or because of bad advice, because of um, being distracted by some of the trappings that you talk about, have never achieved what you felt or Arsenal as a club felt they could achieve. Yeah, uh, there's been quite a few. Uh, and it's not only at Arsenal, but it's everywhere yeah. because I would talk to my contemporaries at other clubs. and Of course, yeah. Uh, they would have high hopes for a lot of players and uh, it never really materialised because... <coughs> excuse me, because the players didn't didn't have that mm. didn't have that ambition to uh to be professional and disciplined and they got carried away with with uh the money they were earning the car they were driving and uh never never trained on as such they were if you put a, a, a horse racing analogy uh they were a good two year old but they never trained on sure 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 is that disappointing? Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating. Yeah. It really is. But it's frustrating for them more than anything else because... At some would, point they have a realisation, right? Well, you, you know, would think... Uh, you know, I get phone calls from some of them saying, you know, can can you help me? You know, uh, I, I need a club. You know, uh, can you get me a trial somewhere? You know, and these are kids that were highly rated when they were 16, 17. Yeah. That's difficult, though, right? Yeah, well, that's what can happen. And, you know, I used to say to boys when they signed professional contracts at Arsenal, I used to say, make sure this is your worst professional contract that you're ever going to sign. They're only going to get better from here. And how are you going to get make them better? You've got to work at your game. You've got to improve. You've got to listen to what the coaches are telling you. Don't think you know it all. You've got to work on the the weak aspects of your game and things yeah. like that. And make sure this is the worst contract yeah. that you're going to get. But so often, Andrew, it turns out to be the best contract that they yeah. get, and they never match that or come near it again. I suppose the difficulty is is that you're dealing with young men at an age where that mindset is we've all been through that period where you think you know better than your parents or whoever it might be there's a, a natural uh, tendency for a bit of a rebellion isn't there and all that kind of stuff that you're dealing with, with, with it's just a natural part of being a young man yeah and also intellect as well you know if you have a good brain you'll realize mm. that what you're being told is is correct and you yeah. work at it you know Whereas I, I agree with you, you're at 16 and 17, you feel you know it all and mm. and they don't know nothing. And you might have an agent as well telling you that they don't know nothing, i.e. the clubs don't know nothing and you don't have to worry about them because if they don't like you, I'll get you another club. Sure. You know, and the, the kids buy into what the agent's telling them. And then, you know, a few years later, people like me are getting phone calls to see if he can get clubs for yeah. them. Yeah. What do you make of the... Um, the changes at, at youth level at, at Arsenal this season with Per Mertesacker going in, Freddie Jumberg coming in as the under-23 coach. They've added uh, a number of backroom staff as well. There has been a significant change because uh, a couple of years ago we brought in Andres Jonker. Um, I'm not sure that worked out quite as well as um, he would have liked or, or whoever made the appointment would have liked. 
um, it's a it's a change of direction, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, Merta Sacker knows the club inside out now. He knows the the culture of the club. He knows the standards of the club. So, uh, I think to have an ex player go in there is a good appointment. Mm. I recommended that when I decided to leave, that there should be an ex Arsenal player come in, and uh, he should be trained up yeah. rather than you know find somebody who wasn't an Arsenal person. Uh, who's had experience in football? I thought it was vital that uh, in, they needed an Arsenal person. I mean, can I ask you wh- why you feel like I agree with you? I think it is important, but could you maybe just expand on why you think it's such an important thing for somebody who understands the club to to be in there and to have those positions? Well, he's got to be loyal to the club first and foremost, uh, and he, he's got to work in the best interest of the club first and foremost. Yeah, and he's also got to explain the club to the to the to the parents and to the uh, uh, to the to the young players themselves, yeah. and, and have standards and have discipline and so forth. Uh, and because that's what I was brought up with, and I'm sure that's what. Uh, a person like Lee Dixon, who I recommended for the position, uh, has been brought up with. He knows what the, the club's DNA is, yeah. and I thought it should be an Arsenal person, but it didn't happen. Uh, and um, I, I don't think it worked. You know, for the yeah. two or three years, uh, there was uh, a stalling. I think at, uh, at 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 the academy. Now, hopefully, Merta Saka can get it back going again. Two to three years is quite a long time, isn't it? If you're talking about a stalling, you're talking about you know uh, that length of time without producing anyone. Um, well, the, the players, you know, the players. Uh, there's there's kids coming along who've really got uh, good prospects that have been at the at the club. Uh, prior to yeah. Anders Young, Andres Junker coming, you know, so yeah. we had them in there at under twelve and under uh, under fourteen and things like that. And they, <laughs> they've got prospects, but um, uh, what I'd be concerned about now is that uh, we haven't bought any young players, brought any young players from other clubs, might be other English clubs or lesser clubs that have proved to be. Uh, good enough to break into the Arsenal first team and I think that's an area where yeah. Merta Saka has to look at and make sure it improves I just brought in a kid from Sunderland yesterday Sam Greenwood a striker who's 16 so who do you view as, as the prospects at the club right now the ones who might have a chance of of making the breakthrough uh, well you know it's very it's very difficult for uh, a kid at uh, 18 and 19 to come in and hold down a place at sure. a club like Arsenal it's it's become harder as the years have gone on because the competition in and around you has become that much stronger and also the and expectation look, of, of fans when things maybe aren't going as well as people might like it's difficult isn't it to throw in a young player when the let's say under the last number of years uh, under Arsene Wenger and to his credit he, he has brought uh, he did bring players through, but it is more difficult to do that when people are demanding the the title when they're looking for the Premier League. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Or even even to finish in the top four is, yeah. is not easy now, is it? Because the six, maybe seven teams yeah. out there, that is real competition. So, uh, no, the the the, the 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 obvious people are the ones that the Arsenal fans have already seen: Reese Nelson. Eddie Nketiah, 
maybe young Willock, but they probably need to go out on loan now. Yeah. And uh, we need to secure their contracts and they need to go out on loan and need to learn the game at a, at a good level that gives you, gives the people at Arsenal a chance to see how they're doing yeah. and, and bring them back in when, when, they, when the time is ready. That's, that's the way it is. You know, if you look at the England team that's playing at the World Cup now, a lot of those players have been on loan. Yeah. You know, that's the way you develop them. It's very, very difficult now for a kid to come in and get into a first team at 18 and stay there. Sure. You know? What do you think of this change to the checker trade trophy rules, which will see our young players play against League One and League Two teams? Well, I think is, is that positive for. Is it just something that selfishly is good for, for Arsenal or is it good for the, the, the competition itself and that it gives it a bit a bit more profile? But certainly for, for the development of young players, all these games are going to be played away from home against against men. I think it's a step in the right direction, but this, it doesn't compare to sending a kid on loan right. and, let's say, sending him to uh, uh, a club like... Uh, how can I... Uh, who can I pick... Um, you know, a club in the championship, maybe Derby County or Wolverhampton Wanderers, and our Wolves have come up now, and it's a different club. Uh, but you know, lads went out there, and you, you find your feet, and you and you have to show what you yeah. what you're good at, and and you got to perform regularly. You know, we had we had a situation going back a few years where we loaned Larson Muamba and Bentner to Birmingham. That's right. And that was the best thing for them. No no check a trade trophy would have helped them. What helped them was going to Birmingham, playing in the championship and trying to get promotion. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the way uh, that you develop a young player now, unless he's absolutely special and he comes into the first team and stays there. Yeah. Unless he's a Fabregas. Right. There are not too many of those around, no, unfortunately. No. There really aren't. No. Just a couple of quick things very finally. Um, it is a big change this summer at Arsenal. Unai Emery is in as the new head coach. There's a new structure and, and Arsene Wenger, after so many years, uh, has gone. How did you think the departure and the announcement of it and maybe the build-up to it, how did you feel that was handled by by the club? Um, well, it was it was going to come, wasn't it? You know, yeah. when, when I was going to the Emirates and I go nearly every home game, there was an awful lot of empty seats, you know, and fans weren't necessarily giving up their season tickets, but they just wanted change. Mm. And uh, their way of protesting was a lot of empty seats. So I think uh, the club's realisation was we have to change, you know. And yeah, I know a lot of people have said it, but uh, maybe Arsenal would have been better going after that Chelsea victory in the cup when we were still yeah. in the top four and I think we were and no I think uh, we finished we, fifth that did season we finish yeah, fifth yeah. There, but, but we beat Chelsea yeah. in the cup there was a high uh, or maybe the Aston Villa one was did we finish in the top four yeah I think so yeah, yeah. and beat Aston Villa in the cup and uh, he might have been but, but I think uh, he was offered another contract and he stayed and um, uh, it, it was difficult because Arsene had done so much for the club and and had brought the club to just another level and mm. uh, the club built the stadium on the back of his work they built the training ground on the back of his work um, and he'd really taken the club from one level to another level um, and uh, it was difficult to see him going uh, 
but I suppose if you look back on how he went, he went out in style. Yeah. Um, and credit to the to the club for handling that the way they did. Um, so what we've got now is we've got uh, a new manager with new ideas and I think we're all looking forward to seeing what he can do with this team I think he has problems with this team I think uh, it's going to take him at least a year to get to grips with what's needed what problems uh, what, what problems do you think he has to deal with going into this season well I think we've got a, a problem he, his biggest problem with it, he's got players who haven't got a winning mentality who are not winners when Arson took over and we're going back to 1996 now yeah. he had winners in his squad about six, seven or eight of them you know who'd been winners under George Graham none of these guys are winners you take Peter uh, Peter Trek out of the equation uh, I don't believe any of them are winners you know in England uh, so he's got to yeah, he's got to do something about that and I, I don't know whether they're of the standard that he can do something I don't expect a league a league title challenge uh, in any way shape or form this season I'd be happy very very happy if he can get us back into the Champions League and I think yeah. the people who appointed him will be as well I think that's realistic I mean you said to me uh, probably at the start of last season when we met here briefly and you said you were worried you thought we would finish outside the top four probably sixth you said I remember you saying it we finished sixth mm. so I mean it is a realistic expectation isn't it for uh, for a top four it's that's got to be I won't say the limit of our expectation for this first season but in a first season he's got to come in he's learning a new language he's getting to know all the players and everything else so if he can get us back into the top four that would be a successful se first season that would for him. be a successful season it's, it'll be ironic really because Arsene Wenger <laughs> that was has never been telling enough. us for the last dozen years <laughs> that is success and, yeah. and the, the media were ridiculing him and, uh, and so were a lot of our fans that's, that's not successful for Arsenal yeah. uh, but the money we spend on transfers uh, uh, and the fact that we can't really compete because our business model is where well, we have a business model mm. whereas Manchester City and Chelsea don't have any business model, model. <laughs> and, yeah, and Manchester United are desperate to get back to the top so they're going to splash money at it as well so yeah. we're, we're, you know, we're down to pecking order and what we can afford so you know, I uh, he will have to be a very very special manager to get a title challenge out of these players. Uh, I think he's going to come to terms with this season uh, that, that's coming. He's going to learn an awful lot about the players that he's got, and if the board or if the people, the powers that be, back him. They'll need to make substantial changes going into the following season. So, how finally, how confident are you in the people running the club and making those decisions? I mean, it sounds like you're talking about there needs to be a little bit of a change in the business model in terms of what Arsenal can invest to attract 
better players, to create a team that can mount a, a title challenge. I mean, do you have concerns about the, the ownership structure or or the way that the club is operated now? I mean, a lot has changed this summer. With Ivan Gazidis is now uh, taking a more uh, hands-on role, it seems, in, in the running of things, not just from a business point of view, but from a football point of view. Raul Sanyehi is the director of football, ostensibly. Sven Mislintad is the head of recruitment. Is that the structure Arsenal need? Well, we, we, we'll see, won't we? You yeah. know, we're going to we're going to see what's going to happen. You know, uh, Ivan Gazidis had had the problem of Arsene Wenger there, but Arsene Arsene wouldn't. Uh, uh, want any change didn't want any change he wanted to run the club the way it had always been run mm. uh, and uh, Ivan now has changed everybody so he has got uh, the guys you've mentioned in place and we'll see how good they all are you mm. know but they're up against it because they're up against some powerful clubs who spend an awful lot of money and we'll have to see uh, whether Stan Kroenke has the appetite to invest more money into the team yeah uh, all those things are going to come out now now that Arsene Wenger's gone we're going to see probably in black and white you know where we're going as a football club all right well we don't have too long to wait for a new season so uh, we'll keep fingers crossed it goes the right way yeah absolutely you know I want Emery to uh, yeah. to succeed uh, I loved Arsene uh, and I hope he he does very well whatever he does he was great to me uh, as head of youth development. He always gave young players a chance. Uh, now we'll see what this new guy is going to to to, to do for us. And uh, I wish him all the best. I'll be watching and I'll be supporting. Yeah. Well. All right. Well. We'll look forward to it, Liam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a million. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. That was the one and only Liam Brady. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you're coming to it for the first time, you could have heard it weeks ago by signing up to be an Arsebug member on Patreon. Just five euros a month gets you access to loads of extra content, loads of podcasts and written content. And every subscription helps support what we do here on Arsblog and Arsblog News and the podcasts as well. So if you're at home right now thinking about what you could do with a fiver every month, there's an option for you. I mean, you could go and just buy a sandwich, 
personally, I wouldn't hold that against you at all. Sandwiches are amazing. But if you did feel like subscribing, it would be very, very much appreciated too. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Now, I'm on holidays as we speak, and I've scheduled this to go out so people will have something to listen to on the Friday of the interlull. James and I will have an Arscast Extra for you on Monday, I think. I don't really know yet because we haven't made that arrangement because it's too far in the future, as I was saying at the beginning. But we will have a, an Arscast Extra for you at some point on Monday or early next week anyway. I'll take some time out of my holiday to make sure that you've got a podcast to listen to early in the week. So for now, I'm going to get get back to probably being out in the sunshine, almost certainly drinking a beer, and quite definitely eating ham on ruffles like they're going out of fashion. So, until the next one, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Adios. Please note, there is a very, very funny bit at the end of this podcast. However, due to rights restrictions and your location, this content is unavailable to you. Which is a tremendous shame, because it really is side-splittingly funny. In fact, I don't think there's ever been a funnier bit at the end of an Arscast. Oh my god, you are missing out so, so much. While you sit here frustrated, others are laughing. The mirth is unparalleled. If you have any complaints about this, please bring them up with your government. Your government are the ones to blame. Certainly not Arsblog. This end bit will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one. Your government prevented the detonator going off. Wankers. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.